Pendejos, no se juega con los fans de los tacos satánicos. La feria de la vida me cae lo mismo, que me da sabor en la vida al culo. Me traen los buenos, yo que yo los mato, hombre de la raza los quieren cuidado. Rechivo, cuida la puerta, el negro, cuida el negocio, ya no podés más Time for Necromaniacs. How's everyone doing? It's uh, me and my uh, co-host and co-founder, Mike Scandato. How's it going, Mike? I am well, Mike. What is up, everybody? Good to be back. Hopefully, everybody out there is doing well. Hello, uh, longtime listeners and new listeners. You're listening to the Necromaniacs podcast, as Mike just said. We are. Uh, we are solely independent right mike we have we have no sponsors we have no fanfare we do it for for the love of of horror and uh we love bringing it to you guys every week yeah we're uh independent as a motherfucker let's put it (laughs) correct i mean i don't think we could be more independent but um before we move on i just just want to give a, a quick plug to some of our, our biggest uh, supporters out there. Uh, the Break the Apocalypse podcast. Uh, what's up to John, Shaheen, and B-Show, who plug us every single week, Mike Hill. Isn't that nice of them? At the, at the top of the show. That's awesome, man. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate that, man. And, uh, of course, another podcast gave us some, some nice words uh, last week. The uh, Kevin Castle and Chicky Podcast Adventures, uh, which is off to a really good start. They've got uh, a whole bunch of listeners, as uh, Kevin Castle used to be on the Don Tony and Kevin Castle show for all the wrestling uh, fans out there. So just want to say what's up to my literal brothers, Mike. Um, and I just want to say what's up to all you guys out there. Uh, we've been having a lot of fun as of late. A lot of people have been sending us messages and hitting us up on Instagram and uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, man. You know, I, I can see you guys have definitely been giving us some love on, uh, you know, on the Instagrams and the Facebooks and online and all that. And, uh, you know, a welcome, we welcome all, all the new listeners. And also if you guys want to reach out to us and, you know, I've had some really good interactions with people online too, about shows and horror and, you know, movies and books and all that stuff. So that's really cool. And you know what? I, I want to throw another plug out there to someone who shares our stuff every week on Instagram and Facebook, Mr. Brandon Legion. You know what, man? I feel like it was really kind of my place to actually plug him, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I fucked up. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, hails to Brandon Legion. Yes. Great guy. Thank you so much for your support, sir. Um, so, Mike. 
as as usual uh, with our top of show, what have you been either and or watching, reading, listening to as of late? Well, I just saw the new uh, Ben Killist Wheatley's film, In the Earth, and uh, that, that was actually a pretty interesting movie. I saw it a couple of days ago. Cool. And, uh, you know, it's kind of this like psychedelic, like in, you know, kind of in the woods, you know, touches on a lot of the shit that I'm into. Um, you know, it was really good. I also rewatched the director's cut of Nightbreed, you know, which. Oh, okay. Yeah, I own that. Nice. Yeah, yeah based on. Uh, well, it was, well, uh, Clyde Barker uh, directed it, but it was also based on his novel Cabal. And um, that's a great book, too, if you guys. Actually, the book is like. Is better. Way, be- way more. Way, it, I mean, the movie's great, but the book is like even better, actually, in my opinion. I think so, too. And uh, hopefully Clive Barker will, I don't know, make another movie again one day. That would be nice, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But yeah. uh, I guess to say. Anyway, I'm, three, <laughs> I'm three episodes away from finishing Banshee, that show that we've been talking about, which you turned me on to. Oh, man. One of the greatest shows ever. And I, and I don't even say that lightly or jokingly. Uh, <laughs> listeners, I, listeners, I'm telling you, a uh, bunch of years back, Cinemax had, a, had you know, its original content. Uh, you know, they had their own original programming. Uh, one was a show called Strike Back, which was a real kind of, you know, action-heavy kind of macho show. But then they had this oddity called Banshee, which touches on so many genres it's definitely in the action genre but i i mean i was i was telling mike i also get like almost like a like a mature reader's comic book vibe from it as well it's got a bit of the 70s early 80s grindhouse sensibility to it as well there's a lot of stunning women there's a lot of nudity there's a lot of sex and there's a lot of violence so if i have if your ears have pricked up listeners and you are not aware of banshee uh, check out Banshee. It is on HBO Max, right, Mike? Yes, that's correct. It also has kind of like a Western vibe to it, like a modern Western. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, definitely. Like, yeah, like he's like an outlaw. He takes on the uh, the identity of a sheriff. So I don't know. It's just like the town's like you know this wild town run by some like you know overlord crime boss. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just, yeah, it has like that kind of Sam Peckinpah, like hard Western vibe to it, you know, but in the modern times, you know what I mean? And uh, the star, Anthony Starr, is one of the stars of The Boys. So it's got a nice recognizable face in there, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, totally, man. And uh, yeah, if I mean, I would even recommend if you love The Boys, as you should, The Boys on, on Amazon Prime is fantastic. Uh, I think you should uh, jump into Banshee immediately. <laughs> uh, as for myself, uh, on the viewing front, I just finished up uh, Jupiter's Legacy, and I liked it. It is getting really shit on out there, though. I got to be honest. Um, really? Some people are not into it, and some people think there is way too many drastic changes from the uh, Mark Millar comic book uh, to this TV series. And there are some drastic changes, mind you. But I, I still really dug it, and I think it's something cool for the, for the fan of, of boys or like a mature, you know, mature kind of comic, you know? I dug it on Netflix. 
Did you see uh, Invincibles yet? I watched episode one, and boy, the end of episode one was a doozy, Mike. That was a doozy. Dude, I want to spoil it. I, I got like obsessed with that show, and I just banged the whole thing out over like a couple of days. And um, I, I never read the comic book, the other, the Robert. Me yeah, I didn't read it. You know, mm-hmm. but it's I'm gonna go back and read it. But it's it was fucking awesome, and apparently they got two more seasons coming out. Oh wow! Yeah, that's cool. Um, without spoiling too much, does was what happened at that end of episode one that very shocking scene? That really happened, right? Yes. Okay, that's all I want to know. All right, because I just didn't dive into episode two yet, and, I, and I'm going to. It's it's kind of um, like a uh, a study in uh, you know how like there's like the um, the darker vision of like a like Superman, like he's an alien, you know, and, right. and he's mm-hmm. like, the superior creature and that kind of thing. It plays mm-hmm. it plays with that kind of mythology in it, and uh, does some really really cool stuff in there, you know. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I liked what I saw so far. But uh, aside from that, on the reading front, I have three books that have arrived in the mail. Uh, one is Brian Keene and Bev Vincent, Dissonant Harmonies, ah. two novellas. Um, yeah, it, it seems really cool. It says, inspired specifically by curated mixtapes, Ben Vincent and Brian Keene present two spine-chilling novellas. Uh, a blizzard descends upon the sleepy town of Bayport, Rhode Island. Brothers Joey and Frank investigate the mysterious disappearances of several townsfolk. After the discovery of strange tunnels, tunnels that only Joey can see, the trio suspects something is lurking beneath the snowbound town, something burrowing, something hungry, and it looks like Joey might be next in the dead of winter. So that sounds pretty cool for that one. Hell yeah. And uh, then the, the next novella... It says, uh, did you imagine the world was vanishing to a flood or a comet or the hand of God or a nuclear war? What if it started with something as innocuous as the Berenstein Bears and something as known as the Mandela effect? Barricaded in a seedy motel room, one man makes sense of love, loss, life, and the end of the world. Do you see what he sees? Do you know what he knows? So, yeah, it's got two cool stories in there. And then I got by, you know, Jumping on this real quick because I get Brian Keene's weekly emails, uh, a signed soft cover from him called Stories for the Next Pandemic, which is just a collection of a bunch of shit he wrote all throughout 2020 during the pandemic, and it is signed. Oh, wow. And his girlfriend, uh, Mary San Giovanni, uh, The Shapes of Night, uh, a, a, you know, this is a, a novel from her, also signed. And it was this thing where he, he sent it out to his, you know, his people on his email and it was 25 bucks for the two of them. And it was up for as long as it was up. And I managed to get them. And now people are trying to flip these for God knows what on eBay. Wow. So, so yay, Mike. I'm a Johnny come lately when it comes to Brian Keene, but I really, I really enjoy his writing now. Oh yeah. He's awesome. I mean, we, we've talked about him quite a bit on the show. So, and I will say his his podcast, which began like a really long time ago, he ended it last year. Um, although it, to me it wasn't an initial influence on the impetus of this podcast. Once I started listening to his podcast, it was definitely an influence for me on Necromaniacs, and you know because uh, 
somebody had asked me, you know, what inspired us to do this or me to do this. And while I mentioned Brian Keene, I said, believe it or not, one of my biggest influences for a podcast is a podcast about adult films called The Rialto Report. Yeah. That is probably my sole biggest inspiration for, for wanting to even do Necromaniacs. The Rialto Report podcast, which is unbelievable. Um, I mean, I don't even listen to any other horror podcasts, Mike. I, I listen to a lot of music podcasts. And I listen to Rialto Report. I read about horror, but I don't listen to horror podcasts. Yeah, you turned me on to the Rialto Report, and and it's it's fucking dense, man. There's like a lot of information, and it's really well done. So I mean, I would, I, yeah. I listen I listen to that one too, actually. Yeah, yeah. But uh, have you been reading anything? Actually, just in the mail today, uh, Rennie turned me on to this publishing company called Dim Shores. And, uh, it's all uh, you know, weird fiction, kind of that kind of stuff, and they put out uh, these small chapbooks that have short oh. stories in them. And the stories, the short stories, are all like you know, like four pages, one's two pages long. So it's um, it just showed up today, and I read like three short stories this afternoon. And uh, the one I got is called Human Two by uh, J. J. M. Bedard, and mm -hmm. uh, really well written. I'm probably going to order more of their uh, books. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's the perfect... I mean, I think this type of fiction lends itself to short stories anyway. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's great, man. Yeah, yeah the, uh, it's great. I, I highly recommend everyone go out there and check out The Dim Shores. Cool. The, the two signed books, uh, Stories for the Next Pandemic and The Shapes of Night, are from uh, Thunderstorm Books, which is an indie, and the Bev Vincent Brian Keene two novellas is from Cemetery Dance Publications, which which is an indie, but like Stephen King will do stuff with them. They're like they're like the big indie, where like they, they have like the smaller writers, but a lot of the, a lot of bigger writers do these kind of special editions with them. So they're they're a cool company, Cemetery Dance, out in uh, Maryland. So yeah, that's what's going on on the reading front, kids. What about uh, music? Um, Any music? Let's see. Music, music. I have been on a new era hardcore kick, Mike. I have been listening a lot to a band from the Hudson Valley, Hudson Valley, New York, called Mind Force. Have you heard of them? I haven't. They are really good. Um, they sound like the first two Leeway records meets some some Bad Brains, meets some Beyond. Um, a lot of groove. A lot of really awesome mashi rips and just like power, you know? Yeah, they're called Mind Force. They're really good. And uh, I mean, they're not new. They're a 20 year old band, but they're probably the biggest hardcore band of the last 20 years. I've been listening to a lot of terror. Uh, I love terror. You know, uh, I, I hail from the Hudson Valley. I don't know if you knew that. Ah, okay, you got to check out Mind Force, Mike. You got to check them out. You know, you know what town they're from? No, I do not know exactly what town, but they put on some of their shirts, Hudson Valley. Um, and before they did Mind Force, a few of these guys were in a band, Living Laser. I don't know if that, uh, you know, jogs your brain a little bit, but Living Laser were around, I think, in the late O's. Um, but yeah, really good hardcore, man. Just fucking, just the kind that you just, you hear it, and it's like, yep, I like this. 
vocally, he's definitely got a bit of the Eddie Leeway thing going on, um, you know, on the higher register. But the music is just like, wow, man. It is just the guy, uh, Mike Shaw, the guitar player, he's in a bunch of other projects. This guy knows how to write some riffs. So I'm a big fan. Yeah, I'll check that out, man. Yeah. For me, uh, the new Grave, My- Grave Miasma record, Abyss of Wrathful Deities, is uh, mm. that's been I got on, to check uh, that out. That's definitely been on uh, on hard volume here at the house. And um, there's a local uh, New Jersey band called Replicant that I've been uh, listening to. They're, I listen to their LP, Negative Life. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jersey death metal, uh, but kind of, I would say, in the gore guts, like a little bit more brutal gore guts, like that style. Nice. I uh, I just pre-ordered from 20 Bucks Spin the new Cerebral Rot LP. You ever check those guys out? No, no, no. I haven't, I'm not familiar they're, with them. They're on, uh, they're on LP number two. comes out in June. Um, they, they dropped the, you know, the single from the album, and it, it's fucking really cool. And uh, on the personal music front, my, uh, my band, The Last Stand, has a new song coming out on the uh, A7 Back to the New York Hardcore Roots compilation. Uh, which ships in a couple of weeks. The the limited vinyl. Uh, they did a, they did a hundred uh, on purple at, at Generation, and they sold out of those. And then that company Cortex did a hundred on gold, and those sold out. And uh, the rest of the pressing is on uh, splatter vinyl. And uh, looking forward to having that in hand uh, in a couple of weeks. I'm excited about that. And then uh, at the end of July, our split uh, with the band called One Choice, called From the East Coast to the West Coast, comes out uh, July 23rd on digital. So yeah. look for that. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, hopefully shows are on the horizon. We, we've got some, some show rumblings, but, you know, nothing totally in concrete. What about you, Mike? Yeah, we're trying to book a show at that uh, arrogant swine place that you you uh, you were telling me about that out in, in uh, yeah, Bush, we're mm-hmm. yeah you mm-hmm. you gave me the uh, the lowdown on that place and um trying to figure out a date. There's a couple of different uh, bands we're talking about doing the show with. Nothing. It's like it's been hard, man, because some people mm-hmm. aren't quite ready to do it, and no one mm-hmm. wants to commit, you know, and. I mean, we're, mm. we're all ready to roll, but like you know, it's it's been difficult. Let's put let's to say the least. You know what I mean? No, that sucks. Well, I think it'll come together, though. I mean, there are bands that are rearing and ready to go, and what once the city gives the full green light, and you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, obviously, I think that the people are ready, but I guess yeah, you know, when it comes to bands and people in bands, you've got different personalities, you've got different opinions, and you've got you, you may you may have people that aren't aren't ready, and that that is what it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. One one of the bands that we were talking about, a band that you and I both really like, but I'm not I'm not going to mention anything because like you know the show's not happening. But like um, you know, one of the guys in the band's got some lingering health problems, so mm-hmm. so they couldn't commit to it. Which you know, I totally respect that. And then uh, you know, there's a possibility of uh, another band that I'm really excited about. If we do the show, it's going to be in August sometime. Great. Yeah, so hopefully. And I think August is a good time, yeah. I mean, I, you know, uh, things I think will just get better. Look, I'm going to knock on wood here, people, and say, you know, we're in May right now, and things are pretty good in New York. 
Yeah. Uh, I just think in August things will be even better, you know, way good. You know, <laughs> I, you know, it's just what I think personally. Um, I am now fully vaccinated, uh, as 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 are you, Mike. Yeah, last, uh, Thursday this past week, I got my second shot, <laughs> and uh, I'm you know I had a, you know it wasn't bad. I same shit as the first time, fatigue, mm. you know, headache. I just kind of laid low for the last few days, and today I feel good. You know, I'm, I'm ready to, ready to like start raging. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. You know, I I think. Uh, the second shot reaction meant different things to different people. One of the guys in my band said, felt nothing first shot, felt nothing second shot. So that's just him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so everyone's different, man. You know, Everybody's different. Exactly. But, yeah, I mean, uh, the horror cons, I mean, right now they're holding this October date for uh, Chiller, which is an indoor convention. And I understand there's a Monster Mania in New Jersey outside, Mike, uh, coming up this weekend, right? You are correct, and I will mm. be I will be there representing in full <laughs> the Necromaniacs podcast. So um, I mean, I'll I'll be there ready to roll, man. We got uh, there's a lot of cool like guests. Uh, Tom Atkins is going to be there. Who's like, yeah, I fucking love Tom Atkins, man. He's a fucking yeah, man. He's a mensch, that guy. You know, <laughs> get some autographs, get some, uh, take some pics. You know, absolutely, Whatever. man. I'll be there. I'll be trying to do all that stuff. You know. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to that. And I know the New York Comic Con, they've, they've got the dates in October and they're, they're working that out for indoors and in the, you know, in New York City. And uh, Irving Plaza today just released a whole slew of shows that begin in the second week of August. Did wow. you see that, Mike? I did not see that. No. Yes, we're now today. Um, from August to December, a bunch of shows. So, yeah. Well, I have tickets to go see Ministry and Helmet down in um in Philly, and that's in that's in October. So, okay, you know that's you know uh, I'm a, that looks like it's probably going to happen. Yeah, I think I think for this indoor stuff, August is probably a safe bet. I know in, in New York City, you know July first, everything is open according to the mayor and the governor, but. I, it's a little confusing regards to live music, though. I, I'm, there's a little uncertainty about, does that mean after July 1st you can have shows? I believe it does because I've seen some advertisements for shows in July that are indoor-only shows. So, yeah, I mean, I wish things were a little clearer, but, you know, I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're uh, there's a tour that's being routed right now for us in November. Uh, mm-hmm. Not sure how long it's going to be. That's the thing. It's like, you know, right. it might end up just being like a week or something like that. But it's it'll be the first time that uh, we've gone out to promote a record that came out a year ago at that time. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, it's a great record and, you know, fucking tour for that motherfucker, you know? Yeah, well, <laughs> just, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, maybe next year, you know, <laughs> we'll see, like yeah. do a bigger tour next year, maybe, you know? Yeah, man, definitely, definitely. Now... Our listeners are wondering, what movie are we covering? (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. A lot of times on the show, people, Mike and I cover movies that we are extremely enthusiastic about and movies that were just kind of home runs, movies that were like four or five stars. We love it. We love it. We love it. We can't wait to tell you all about it. Tonight is a movie that, well, 
I'm not going to say I hated the movie, but I don't think it's a movie that I'm just going to scream to the rooftops its praises. It is the 2010 remake of the 1978 classic, I Spit on Your Grave. Now, right off the bat, this is, I don't know, it's kind of a troublesome type of film. It's a part of the rape-revenge sub-genre of horror, right, Mike? Yes, and uh, I think it's important that we talk about this one just because uh, you know, I got a bunch of things to say about this film, even though I, I didn't, you know, I don't back this movie really. The original, <laughs> right. though, the original is important, and I think that it's like, I've never been a big fan of remakes, really. You know what I mean? I think uh, mm-hmm. there's a couple of notable ones that I really like. For example, the Dawn of the Dead remake I enjoyed. You know, um, Eventually, I came around to the Rob Zombie remakes of Halloween. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, but by and by, I don't really appreciate remaking films that I find to be the orig- where the originals are perfect, you know? Exactly. Now, here's the thing. There's been a lot of rape revenge movies. Some of them are like upper echelon kind of films, like Irreversible, which, look, it's, it's, a, it's a bonkers movie. It's not for everybody, but it belongs in this canon. I think it is a good movie. I think Last House on the Left, original and sequel, are good horror movies, and they're good movies, Okay. Um, I'm going to say that movie Revenge from 2017, I actually thought that that was quite good. Uh, It's on Shudder. Have you seen it? Yeah, I saw that uh, right around the time it came out um, as a a curiosity because I was like, well, what are they going to do with this genre that's like, I feel like that genre's best days are kind of behind it, really. Yes, let's be honest. I I think the the days are behind it. Uh, Thriller, A Cruel Picture, is another kind of quintessential uh, 70s rape-revenge movie. And, of course, one could argue the very first one, Virgin Spring, going way back, you know, the black-and-white film. Exactly. Um, You know, uh, the the list goes on. Uh, Which brings us here to the 2010 version of the film, which I'll just give a, a little bit of a rundown. Uh, like I said, it is a remake of the controversial cult 1978 film, I Spit on Your Grave, which had an original title of Day of the Woman. It was directed by Stephen Monroe, uh, written by Stuart Morse, based on uh, Mir Zarki's screenplay from the original film. He is also the man who directed the original film, and it stars uh, Sarah Butler, Jeff Branson, Daniel Francaise, Ronnie Eastman, Chad Lindbergh, Tracy Walter, and Andrew Howard. This movie came out uh, initially uh, via the Texas Frightmare Weekend uh, show, con, slash con, whatever, uh, back in May of 2010, where it premiered. And then it uh, officially came out, I believe, straight to home video via Anchor Bay in uh, October, October 8th of 2010. And I remember seeing this movie around late 2010, right when the store had kind of closed. That was probably the first and only time I'd seen this film uh, leading up to us covering it tonight. What about you, Mike? You know, this is really funny because I uh, I was looking to 
you know, looking for this online. And then I noticed that I had actually purchased this movie to own mm. on, on iTunes <laughs> for some fucking reason. I got this movie. Maybe, maybe you and I just like talked about covering this like years ago and we just never got I around to it. I, I think we 100% did talk about covering this movie and we never got around to it. And gee, I can't imagine why now. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, I feel like the reason this movie was made, and look, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm just going to throw this out there. Listeners may agree, and some may disagree. It came out in 2010. What was happening in 2010, people? Remake Mania was happening in 2010. Every classic horror movie around the late O's or to maybe the beginning of the 10 into the teens was being remade. We had the Friday the 13th remake. We had the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Uh, we had the Last House on the Left remake. And a lot of these movies did okay. Some did more than okay. They made their money back. They did very well on the DVD and Blu-ray market. And that is why this was made. Um, and I'm going to say that's part of the reason why this movie was made. And it got the okay from the man who created this whole thing, the, the Mirzarki guy. He had a, a bit of a hand in this movie happening as well. So I'm going to say that's the reason why this was made. They, they probably smelled, you know, as they say, blood in the water. But what they really smelled was money. Uh, this movie, while obviously didn't have a theatrical, uh, it did pretty good on, on the DVD and Blu-ray market. It did so well that in 2013, they did make an ice pit on your grave, too. And in 2015, there is an I Spit on Your Grave 3, Vengeance is Mine, which brings back the star of this remake, Sarah Butler, as Jennifer Hills. As an additional addendum, uh, a year or two ago, uh, Mike, keep me honest, a direct sequel to the 1978 I Spit on Your Grave was made, starring none other than the star of the 1978 I Spit on Your Grave, Camille Keaton. Now, I have heard absolutely nothing but terrible things about that movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I do want to see it, as it is a direct sequel, and I just want to see if it's as terrible as everyone is saying it is. Like, I heard the acting is terrible. I heard everything about it is terrible. I heard it looks like it was made for like 20 bucks. So, that's <laughs> interesting to me. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, you, you must be talking about I Spit on Your Grave Deja Vu. Yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's the full title. And, yes. And people watch the trailer on YouTube and I think you'll get what I'm talking about. The trailer is, is pretty, uh, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. So, uh, which brings us to the film that we're covering tonight. The initial remake, the 2020, 2010, I spit on your grave. I can't believe 2010 is 11 years ago, Mike. Seems like just yesterday. It really does. I mean, the world. <laughs> The world was a lot better in 2010, though. Let's be honest. I, I tend to agree with you, man. <laughs> I mean, geez, like in every level, I think the world was better. Like every single level. Um, anyway, although I was unemployed, much like I am right now. So this is not <laughs> I was looking for a job back then. I was DJing. Listeners, I was DJing every week. I was collecting unemployment. I was working at the old comic book store and then working at another comic book store and paying all of my bills and rent 
just from all that hustle. How about that, Mike? That's fucking cool, man. I what, wait. What other comic shop did you work at? The that one that the guys had on Fourteenth Street, the yeah. Manhattan Comics. Oh, the, the, right, the, right, right. I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Remember okay. that yeah. short-lived uh, fiasco. Yes. Yeah, the one where the two guys bought the comic store from a guy and then never paid him for it, yeah. and then he had to take them to court. That one, but that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole another thing, listeners. I'm not even going to get into that. But anyway, the jolly days of 2010. Um, I don't even think if you wanted to now. I mean, I don't know. Am I going to say this? Could this be made on the indie circuit now? This movie, I maybe. Or, or, or do you think hard no? I think that this type of film, it just is not the flavor that people are. are. Well, then again, I said like the revenge was it? Wait, wait, it was revenge? Was Seventeen, yeah, that was four years ago. All right, so this, yeah, I don't think this would fly today, man, because I think, especially in the independent horror horror world of those mm. those filmmakers, they're all looking towards making movies like. You know, like the witch, or um, you know, the slow burn, yeah. slow, heady, kind of weird. Yeah, that's kind of where horror is at now, and that's fine. You except, know what I'm saying? Except for Art the Clown in Terrifier. <laughs> right. No, exactly. So, no, you know what? I'll, I'll I'll walk it back, Mike. I just I'll say this: I don't think Anchor Bay would probably jump at the at a movie like this right now. That's what I'll say. I think uh, a more DIY. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is stars. Star zones Anchor Bay. I don't think stars would get behind this right now. No, I really don't. Um, I think something like this would have to be a bit more indie. Like, indie, indie. What do you think? Absolutely, man. Like I said, no one, no one's going to touch a movie with, like, a bunch of gang rapers in it and, uh, you know, victimizing some, some lady. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just not, not, it, people wouldn't touch that these days, you know, without getting the fear of uh, of being canceled or, you know. Mm. I, I think there's, that's a big con- component with how people make decisions these days. Exactly. I mean, the original had its, its, its place because it comes out in, in, in 78 amidst a time of lots of sleazy, fucked up movies where women are treated like shit and there's not a lot of revenge happening. Okay. Prior to the OG, I spit on your grave in 78. Would you, would you agree that that might've been the case prior to that movie, especially in like the horror kind of world and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, well, you know, uh, I, I do know for a fact, uh, that there were like these porn films back then called roughies and they involved a lot of rape and it was, they're just real harsh shitty fucked up movies to get through especially in, in today's eyes um and then along comes i spit on your grave where a you know a, a beautiful young woman who, who leaves new york city uh to escape uh, in the original to connecticut in this remake she escapes to louisiana uh, to just get away and write and she's fucking uh, accosted upon by a bunch of scumbags and they rape her and beat her and do terrible things to her and she gets her fucking revenge, you know, big time in both films. Don't get me wrong. But my question is, whereas I think it was a bit 
it, it had its, its importance more in 78, where some women who saw it, sure, uh, quite a few were repulsed by it and, and questioned its reason for existence. Like Roger Ebert hated the original, okay? And he did not like this one, okay? <laughs> he, there was no reason for either movie to be made, according to him. But some women felt it was important to show that not every woman, even a woman of such a horrific crime, will be this forgotten victim that they, they'll get their fucking revenge and they'll fucking kill a motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Like, why, <laughs> why in 2010 was, was something like this made? I just think this was purely made in 2010 for financial reasons. What do you think? Well, back in 78, I feel like, you know, in the 70s, it was the Wild West of filmmaking. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's there's I mean, all yeah. sorts of, mm -hmm. you know, they're pushing the envelope in a lot of ways. It's like there was a sense that no one was uh, watching, you know, and some of these films, you know, were, were just going for it and pushing the envelope. And I remember when I first saw uh, I Spit in Your Grave in the 80s when I was in mm -hmm. high school, I was like, man, I felt like I shouldn't be watching the movie. You know, like this is like something that I, yeah. I, I oh, felt no, kind of yeah. dirty, you know, watching it. But the point is that I feel like, I mean, you know, you, people could probably debate this. And I'm sure, you know, there, there's there's a, a argument on either side of this. But the one difference that I Spit in Your Grave had than a lot of the other films that came out in the 70s, including maybe like Death Wish or something like that, which is a, you know, a rape revenge movie. Mm -hmm. Except that Charles Bronson is the guy who goes out and does the revenge. <laughs> right, exactly. It's but, a revenge yeah, yeah. By, by a man. Mm -hmm. and then, but I spit on your grave on your grave, the revenge is a woman taking revenge on her male attackers. You know. Mm -hmm. And in seventy eight, I think that was a little bit more significant than in twenty ten. Yeah. You know? Correct. Correct. I mean, while the message is the same I guess some people might wonder why did it even need to be said in 2010? That's kind of what I'm wrapping my head around, right? Like it made more sense in 78 than it made in 2010. Going back to Roger Ebert, okay? He gave this, this, this movie we're talking about tonight, the 2010 movie, a zero rating, <laughs> okay? Yeah, I love that. He said it was a despicable remake of the despicable 1978 film, it adds a phony sense of moral equivalency. If I rape you, I have committed a crime. If you kill me, you have committed another one. The ideal outcome would be two people unharmed in the first place. While he allowed that the movie was that this that the 2010 movie was at least made professionally as opposed to the original one, which was devoid of any skill or artistry, he considers this largely in the service of truly offensive material. Uh, meaning the rape scenes. This new version is more offensive because it lingers lovingly and at greater length on the realistic verbiage, psychological, and physical violence against the woman and then reduces her, quote, revenge to cartoonish horror flick impossibilities. I got to say, he's not wrong, <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, that's an interesting yeah, take on that. I, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that because, yeah, you know, the rape, I mean, it seems it seems fucking hard to watch, honestly, in the remake. Yeah. You know, yeah. 
And and then when we're when she's getting her revenge on these guys, suddenly we're back in the fantasy world of a horror movie. You know what I mean? Correct. But I maintain, I, I said this before we started, I maintain that the revenge in the remake is far more fucking gross and fucked up than it is in the original. But I personally find the rapes in the original more harsh and mean-spirited than this remake. That's my personal take. Hmm. Yeah, um, I guess, man. I, I mean, the rapes in both of them were pretty pretty brutal. You know? Oh, yes. And, oh yeah, uh, and but I feel like the um, the revenge aspects in the first one. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think if they're you know. It, well, was, the big to do in the OG, Mike. The big to do is is literally the scene in the bathtub. Uh, uh, spoiler alert for a 1978 film, <laughs> um, where she's in the bathtub with him and she cuts his penis off, which we do not see. And then the blood just spurts out and she locks him in the bathroom to just bleed out to death and he's yelling and it's quite a scene. But you don't see his penis. You don't see much. It's the implied and then the blood. And it it is a good scene. It's a great horror movie scene. Uh, In the remake, spoiler alert, she chops off his penis and puts it in his mouth. So it's like it's over the top, dude. It is even more over the top. Um... And then, of course, uh, the other killings. I mean, another guy gets dumped in acid. Another guy gets his eyes fish hooked with fish guts on him so that crows could eat his face. And then, you know, uh, another spoiler alert, one of the, the worst uh, offenders, this sheriff in the movie, gets his, his uh, shotgun up his rectum and blown out. And, I mean, it's, it's out of control. It's very modern post-saw fucked up crazy you know ending i think in this this new version whereas in the old version aside from the penis chopped off and the tub the others like she hangs one guy and the other two get chopped with an axe while they're you know in the water it's not as bonker you know i guess that's the point i was trying to make that i was reacting to with uh you know robert ebert's analysis was that in in the 2010 version of it it's it's way more um you know, horror trope esque. You know, there's mm-hmm. like, you know, it was post post hostile. You know, that kind of thing. Post saw, and there's the murders kind of referenced a lot of that shit. And I guess that's kind of like my thing with this movie, where in 1978 they never made a film like that. No, in 20, no. 2010, it's like someone already went there and made that movie. Right, and, you know, like whatever. Thirty some odd years later, you're you're trying to remake. You're trying to go there again, into mm. this like very unsavory area. So, what's your motivation for doing that? And it's like that is why I think one one of the driving factors behind me not really liking the remake. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like it's like exploitation of an exploitation film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, very good. Very good. Now, it's it's worth noting some other things that people said about this movie uh, from uh, Nicholas Sal from the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, not a fan. In, in addition to all the obvious things that are disgusting about this movie, I Spit on Your Grave is trying to get us to hate each other. Hate it instead. 
it makes more sense and the hatred is more deserved. Now, here's the wild part. Two places that gave it props, the New York Times gave it some support. The reviewer wrote, female empowerment fantasy or just plain purience, I spit on your grave is an extremely efficient grindhouse. Hmm. New York Times wrote this in 2010. And V.A. Musetto from the New York Post, another huge paper, saying, if you can handle the movie, see it. And then, of course, Fangoria. Fangoria got behind it, as no surprise. They said, just as raw and upsetting as its on-screen brutality is the original, but perhaps more so since the acting in this version is significantly better this time around. Um, look, I guess, I don't know. It, it all depends. I mean, the hate from, from most media... Not not a surprise, and the love from the horror community, not a surprise, right? Um, but when you when you're kind of holding it up against the original, I think what you said, it's an exploitation of an exploitation. I kind of like that, Mike. I thought that was that was quite good. Oh, thank you. Um, and I mean. There are good things about this movie. I, I think Sarah Butler is really good. Um, the physicality uh, that, that she had, I mean, you know, she goes through the ringer and she, you know, I think she does a great job. I, the one thing I said uh, before we started rolling tonight to Mike was, why would an actress want to be in a movie like this? And apparently uh, this actress, uh, Sarah Butler, uh, sat on it for about a week. She got the role, right, where she auditioned. And then it took her a week to say yes, even though she kind of had said yes, like before she could bring herself to committing to the film, which makes a lot of sense to me. What about you, Mike? Well, I don't know why anyone would want to be in this fucking movie. Really. <laughs> it's like, yeah, all right, okay, I, I think even if you're one of the rapists, it's like, okay, you know, uh, I played the raper, one of the gang rapers in the remake, the remake of I Spit in Your Grave. Not even like, like the fucking 2010. Oh yeah. Oh, you didn't see that one? The 2010 version of it? Um, you know, like I, I haven't seen any of these people in anything ever. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, what, what happened to these guys? You know, do they work at Starbucks or like what, what's, you know, are they waiters? Like what, what's the deal? You know? I mean, I met her at a con, uh, Sarah Butler. She was very nice. She was really cool, which I, I got to say, every, almost everyone I've met has been really cool. Very few people have been not that cool. Um, she was very nice. She had, you know, she had people waiting to get, you know, eight by tens or whatever. And I guess the fact that she's never done anything really that huge, I was checking out her IMDb. Does this movie have something to do with that? Perhaps so. Um, you know, um, could be, man. yeah, I mean, but she did this one and she did part three, which means she'll always be welcome at a horror con and we'll always have someone looking to get her autograph film, Mike. So it's like a weird thing. You've, you've made a, a bit of a career in these fucked up things, but you've kind of hurt your career for outside of horror. I, that's what I think. Well, what other films has she? I mean, I, I I looked through her IMDb and I didn't recognize a single title. Have you been familiar with any of the other movies? I'm not familiar with it. No, it's indie movies. It's all indie movies, dude. Uh, even post post I Spit on Grave, but she has been working steadily since 2010. She has not stopped working. Um, so yeah, 
She has two movies in post-production. Oh, okay. She's just a working actress. She's a working actress, which is great. Good for her. You know what I'm saying? But um, maybe... This, look, it, it's kind of like a, a glass half full, glass half empty. You know? She can go to a con and make a, bun- a bunch of dough. <laughs> you know? Um, and maybe that's that's great for her. And I, I hope it is, you know? Um, but, I mean, it, looking back at Camille Keaton... Uh, she was like a, a model, and I mean, who knows what the OG movie did for her in in the, in the you know scheme of things? Because she was kind of MIA for a really long time and didn't act, and then started acting in a bunch of indie horrors about ten, twelve years ago. And she's been in a whole bunch of them. So you know, I mean, sometimes people just go away and they come back. You know, I mean, it, you and I aren't actors; we're not privy to, to a lot of how these things work right mike i mean no. but you know who knows why do you want to be in a movie like this that's the million dollar question yeah and, and i mean in this in 78 like that film i spin in your grave it's almost like being in a porno really you know what i mean yeah almost 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 yeah because it, it wasn't until the 80s where you started seeing like the scream queens you know what i mean right Right, so, there were no screen cream. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. Not yet. No, not yet. So she was a little bit ahead of that curve, you know, where like a Linnea Quigley can have like a, a career being in, you know, in horror film after horror film and mm-hmm. have, have her own fans and that kind of thing. So Camille Keaton was before all that and she'd probably already been marginalized because she was in this rough, rough movie that people probably associated as being basically in a porno. You know, yeah, and going back to the OG that the New York Times said about the OG, and this is important. Uh, defenders of the film have argued that it's actually pro women due to the fact that the female lead wins in the end, which is sort of like saying cockfights are pro rooster because there's always one left standing. <laughs> uh, film critic Mark Kermode, who I who, a name I, I definitely know, has opined that it is deeply, deeply problematic at the very best of times. And it's not as interesting as earlier exploitation films like Last House on the Left. Interesting. Yeah, Last House on the Left got a lot of... That movie did get like a lot of love because, I mean, shit, that was like 73. I mean, that's that's pretty early, you know? And that is literally a remake of Virgin Spring. So maybe that's why that gets more love. What do you think? I think so. There's like more of a... Um, you know, there's like more subtext, I think, in, in Last House on the Left. You know, mm. There's more characters. The story's a little bit more interesting with this film. I mean, I got to be honest, man. At the end of the day, the the feminist angle for I Spit in Your Grave, I don't think really holds water, you know? Um, For some women, yes. For some women, no. I don't know if I would make a super blanket statement because some women like the film. Um, uh, There's a 2007 article for the, uh, for the website Obsessed with Film titled is I spit on your grave really a misunderstood feminist film. And it argues that when understood within the context in which the director Zarki was inspired to make it, the movie maybe is equally as appropriate to analyze as feminist wish fulfillment and a vehicle for personal expression reacting to violence against women. So I think it's a, it's a mixed bag, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, 
you have like deliverance, right? Which is about male rape and revenge, ultimately, right? Absolutely. That's what that's about. Um, yeah, for sure. It's not it's not as OTT as fucking I spent on your grave or as last house on the left, but they have a lot in common, right? Sure. Um and that's like a renowned great movie. Look, I, I'm not saying that I spit is is the same as Deliverance. It's not. But they share some commonality. And I just think it depends on who you're talking to, you know? I mean, uh, like I said, um, the, the, this uh, this movie, the OG and the remake, they have female fans. Uh, but they have definitely people who loathe both, <laughs> you know? I mean... And I guess it's just really, I don't know. No one is right or wrong. In, I don't in, know. Uh, well, yeah, you can argue both ends. That's, but that's why, I mean, speaking more about the 78 version, that's why I feel like it's more of an important film because... You can argue it. You can have. There's all these different angles you can look at it. And my my one my one angle is that I you know I, I think straight up I think '78 important movie the, coming out of the Wild West of the '70s. You know, yeah, uh, exploitation films, grindhouse cinema, all that. And also, um, yeah, I mean, do I believe that there is a the subtext was ultimately like a feminist, like positive woman subtext. Mm -hmm. I think that, yes, that might've been the, you know, the, the subtext in the film, but the audience, I would say in 1978 was primarily males watching this movie. Sure. And later women might've found out about mm -hmm. it in the eighties, like on, on VHS tapes and things like that, you know? This is worth noting about the OG. I watched my. I have a DVD called Millennium Edition. It's uh, it's it's you can't find it anymore. It's a DVD uh, that the company that eventually turned into Synapse Films put out. Um, and he, here's something interesting. Uh, he 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 has a commentary on it, and no one had really heard from him for a long time before he did this commentary. And on the commentary, he says that he was inspired to make this film after helping a young woman who had been raped in New York, he says that he, a friend of, and a friend of his daughter were driving by a park. Now, again, this is what he says. We're driving by a park when they witnessed a young woman coming out of the bushes, bloodied and naked. And they collected the traumatized girl, returned her to her home. And it decided it was best to take the girl to the police rather than a hospital lest the attackers escape and find further victims. They quickly decided they had made the wrong decision. The officer, whom Zarki described as not fit to wear the uniform, delayed taking it to the hospital and insisted she followed formalities, like giving her full name and, you know, uh, asking her to give all this information when she could barely speak because her jaw was broken. And Zarki insisted that the officer take her to the hospital and he eventually complied. Soon after, the woman's father wrote that Zarki and his friend uh, sent him a letter of thanks for helping his daughter. And basically, this whole ordeal is the reason why he made the movie. But no one knew this until this commentary on the DVD of the OG. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I think I heard that story. I read that somewhere. Yeah. And, and that's why I was saying earlier where it's like, yeah, I think that maybe under the underlying subtext is, is pro-woman. You know, but maybe when it came out, it was mostly guys like in these like sketchy theaters watching it, you know? 
Yeah, I agree. And Doyle agrees too. Doyle just chimed in, listeners. He said hello. Um, <laughs> but again, like getting back to, to the, the remake, um, I give it some points for the creativity in the revenge uh, killings. Uh, you know, uh, I think, but I almost feel like that's its only real bright spot alongside with, you know, Sarah Butler's really kind of giving her all aside from that. I don't have a lot of use for this movie. Yeah. I, um, I think, you know, referencing what I said earlier about the exploitation (laughs) of an exploitation film, um, with all the things we said about the original being like, you know, this kind of having, having this like point to it, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't feel like remaking that film, you don't, you don't, you don't inherit the point that the first film was going to was making, you know what I'm trying to say? No, not at all. I mean, it's, it, it was about remake mania, number one. Yeah. And I think it was about making money. Number two. I mean, if, if, if I could be proven otherwise, which I don't think I could probably, um, you know what I'm saying? Um, and look, a lot of movies are made for these very same reasons. You know, not everything is about artistic merit or integrity. And sometimes a, a, a shitty horror movie or an exploitation movie is just a shitty horror movie or a shitty exploitation movie. And, and that's all you need to know, right? Another thing that's interesting about the remake is that uh, the whole, the whole, uh, a, big, a big theme in that is them documenting the rapes. Yeah, with with a yeah. with a, a camcorder basically, <laughs> which is like, totally like imagine today like don't, motherfuckers bro don't even know what those are anymore, man. Like those like, cam, cam, <laughs> camcorders. Because right. like, twenty ten, that's right, and the yeah. phones weren't all that great yet, right? Yeah, oh, you, you, you didn't have like high res like phone uh, video available in twenty ten, and also. Uh, in the original, there there are four rapists, and well, in, in this uh, 2010 remake we're covering, they up the ante to five by adding in uh, a really despicable uh, police officer. Which did it need five rapists? I mean, I, I don't think it did. I, do you? I mean, I. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess the um, it was like more of like a plot. You know, right, thing. right. There was an interesting. Okay, there was an interesting angle with his his family. And the wife, and she meets the wife, and you know, okay, I'll give it that. But that could have, re- they could have just gotten rid of one of the other like rapists. No, I mean, I don't. Know. It was just like it didn't need five rapists. And, and I also um, thought it was funny the change of location from uh, Connecticut to uh, to Trump's America to like Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think. They don't. Do they say it's Louisiana? I don't think they do. It's kind of like this un, unmentioned southern area, but it is Louisiana, apparently. But, but yeah, they, they got really, like they got those like shit kicker accents and you know. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. I mean, it, we don't want to offend any Louisiana listeners. By the way, we're just you know generalizing a little. But the, the um, guys, the rapists, definitely look like they were involved in the January sixth uh, Capitol insurgencies, though. Uh, oh my god i don't think those guys would have been able to even make it if, if we're being really blunt about the type of people in, in this movie but uh <laughs> they don't think we would have made the trip but um you know i mean what can we say about this movie guys i mean 
we, we've said it, uh, but we're getting down to the nitty gritty. I think we're going to, we're going to give our, our, our personal scores on our necromaniac scale of one to five for the 2010 I spit on your grave. And Mike, hell, what is yours? I give it a one. Wow. Yeah. A one. Really? Yeah. Hmm. A one. I'm actually giving this a 2.5. Really? A minus three. Wow. Because I think it's worth see. It's worth seeing. Okay. It's worth watching if you've seen the OG and you're curious about its remake. And that's it. Like there's no. I mean, if you have zero curiosity, I mean, it's like it's a very specific kind of movie. You know what I'm saying? It's not for everybody. But look, some people. For some people, like Martyrs and Irreversible are movies they never, ever want to see again, Mike. You know? Um, is this movie in that realm? I don't even... I don't think so. I almost feel like those movies are way, quote-unquote, worse, you know? On on the visual experience and the mindfuck experience. This movie isn't like a mindfuck, you know? It doesn't oh. make you want to, like, you know jump out a window you know what i'm saying <laughs> no um no not not that but i i i mean martyrs is like art is a piece of art you know what i mean yes yes this, this movie is just like a cash grab on a trash. You know, it's kind trash. Of, yeah it's trash it's like once again like i said you know it you don't by making i spit on your grave by remaking it you don't inherit the subtext that the original was trying to have. You're just, you're just like exploiting, you know? And, and, and I I'm like not, it. Man. Yes. I'm not, I'm not against like exploitation films, but there, you know, there's a fucking point, man. It's like, there's like, there's like a reason to make some movies. And this one's like, okay, well we're going to have like this spend a little bit more cash. You know, they're remaking, uh, you know, last house on the left. So let's remake. I spit in your grave. And yeah, you know, that's totally what happened here. But the I Spit on Your Grave remake is not as good as the Last House remake. And, you know, while I'll give this movie some props for some, some, some interesting kills and some of the performances and, and, the, and some acting here and there, I'm still going to 2.5 because I don't really want to see it again. And I don't really I'm not like over the moon for it. And. I don't think it's essential. I can't remember the last time I've scored a movie so low. I'm, I'm teetering on three, teetering, but it's it's almost it's like a two point five. And it's really just because of, of Butler, Sarah Butler. So yeah, yeah. I don't mm -hmm. think I've ever given anybody a one, really. No, no. See, this is a very interesting episode, everybody. Huh. Like I said, it's not all about gushing over movies here. <laughs> do you think? Do you think Sarah Butler? is interested in horror as a genre like do you think that like i'm wondering why she never like tried to go that scream queen angle you know apparently uh and, and this is according to imdb she had reservations about taking the role as she herself chooses not to watch horror movies because she finds them disturbing her agent eventually talked her into it stating that sarah would be insane not to play someone so scary and badass. I have a funny feeling part three is going to see this character in like some other level. Crazy, like I kind of want to see the third part, which is a direct sequel to this, because I want to see 
what happens to her. And I have a feeling she's like killing a bunch of people. Like I, you know, if it takes some kind of interesting angle and ride, I mean, who knows? It might even be something that's somewhat more enjoyable, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I would say she found a, a, a career of sorts in this sub genre, you know, and this darker corner of the horror world. Yeah, it's definitely a rough, <laughs> you know, nasty, like, like subgenre. You know, I mean, I, I, in general, I'm not really a big fan of the rape revenge films, to be honest. You know, no, I mean, it's not. Again, it, it's like you have your certain key movies, and you won't really need to see anything else. You know, I mean, um, although I, I maintain that the, the movie Revenge from 2017 was quite good because I think it just. It, it, it was. I'm trying to remember. There were things that made that separated it. Uh, I, first of all, it wasn't super like, you know, uh, heavy. I mean, it was heavy, but I don't think it was like I spit on your grave heavy. You know, I think it was. I remember it being very brightly colored and yes. style. And yeah, it was very like bright, and I thought that was kind of cool. And I liked the, the the female character in that quite a bit as well. I may need to check that out again because I saw it once and it's been a long four years, Michael. So yeah. there is something that I liked about that movie it's that not, I would definitely it, call really, It's not nearly as rough as I Spit in Your Grave. Right. No, I do not think it is. While it has, obviously, it's fucking rough subject matter, uh, I think it's probably just a lot better movie. There you go. You know? I mean, that could be it. The result of this kind of overtopness to it, you know? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I mean... The one thing I have to give I have to give credit to for the um, I Spit in Your Grave 2010 is the way the film looked. It looked it looked like a movie. It had this kind of like you know quality to it where it yeah. you know what I mean. It had this like dim it vibe. Better. Mm -hmm. It look, look it does look better than the OG. I mean the OG looks like a cheap grindhouse movie because that's kind of what it was. I mean. One of the best shots of the of the OG is those New York exteriors in the beginning. I thought I don't know because they literally filming Old Manhattan and it looks like Old Manhattan, <laughs> and I'm a sucker for that, you know. Um, and that that great visual of her on the boat with the axe is one of my favorite visuals in that movie. Uh, like you know what I'm saying on the motorboat with the axe in the air, yeah. uh, you know, that that's a great visual from that movie. And it has an amazing poster. The poster is fantastic. For the last house on the left, uh, last house for I spit on your grave, um, you know, and it has a, the, the title. It's one of the greatest titles of horror movie titles, in my opinion. Um, much better than Day of the Woman. Imagine if it went out with Day of the Woman. It wouldn't have nearly the infamy that it has now. <laughs> that sounds like a bad seventies song, Day of the Woman. It it's like, it's like not a good. Carpenter's song or something like that. Yeah. It's not no good, no good. I spit on your grave. I mean, that's a title, <laughs> you yeah, know. It certainly is. <laughs> wow. Well, this was a fun one. I mean, look, the scoring wasn't fun, but everything else was fun. Would you agree? <laughs> you know, not not everything uh, is a home run. You know what I mean? No. You know, a little rain must fall on everyone's life from time to time. That is true. That is true. I mean, you know, and uh, I mean, 
hey, it, it's Rob Zombie, who has to be mentioned because he's get mentioned every episode. Um, I, you know, they can't all be Rob Zombies. <laughs> I'm like, ba- like flabbergasted by how I've turned around on Rob Zombie this past yeah. year. Can we just talk a moment about that? How Mike <laughs> has gone from, if you really dig back, listeners, to just really giving it to Rob Zombie, to to realizing he likes three to potentially four of his movies has been quite a transformation. Lords of Salem mm-hmm. is legit a good movie. I, I've always I've always backed that one. If you remember, I'm telling you, the episode which is getting released, uh, you know, by the time this comes out, that episode will have been released. We will have been changing minds. I'm telling you. And I think we should go out with what if everything you thought about Lords of Salem is wrong. And that's great. That's great. I, I love it. I love it. The movie that gets called Rob. Z- what if the movie that gets called Rob Zombie's worst movie is his best movie? How about that? I, I, it blows my mind, though, honestly, that no one likes that movie. Mm. You know, I mean, maybe they're not horror fans because I think that movie really. I mean, a lot of his films are about paying homage to like other things, and that one I yeah. think pays homage to European horror, like, in, in such a really cool way. It really does, and it, it, it again, I maintain that it has that that somewhat of the quieter, slow burn. That was 10 years too early almost, you know, to a degree, to a degree, um, where it's not loaded with action until much later in the film. And it has the witch thing, which was not explored till years later in America. So, yeah, we're, we're kind of, uh, we're repeating ourselves a little bit. But, you know, if you did not listen to our Lords of Salem podcast, shame on you. Go back and check it out, man, for sure. Go back and check it out. Oh, by the way, I do know that some people saw uh, To the Devil a Daughter for the first time based on, on that episode. And uh, what's up to everybody who said they really liked that and enjoyed that. So, uh, yeah, that was a fun one. Well, I think we kicked this one in the ass, man. I think we did. I think we did. I Spit on Your Grave 2010, folks. Watch it at your own peril. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everyone. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Cheers.
Jesus, I beg of thee, don't take my life. Return me to the womb from which I was torn. Birth is a sin, and the punishment is death. I wish you had left me unborn.